good morning, uh, Northwest. The first thing I'd like to do is just, again, offer my honor and sincere thanks to all of those that have uh, paid the ultimate price uh, for the cause of liberty in this country. And just, uh, um, I wish I could have the words to express my gratitude and my love uh, for that sacrifice, um, but this will have to do. Uh, second thing is, of course, many of you may not know me. My name is uh, Jim Sellers. I've attended this church for like 22, 23 uh, years, and uh, I, I love this church, and I love being a part of it, I am, and I am deeply honored uh, that the pastoral staff has allowed me to, uh, to share today, and I'm deeply honored that you're listening, if, if you are in fact listening. So I'm super excited about today, and I can't wait uh, to, get, uh, to get rolling here. So one thing that uh, I think is important that we understand is that there's going to be some differences today. I'm a little bit different, so I think expectations are really important. Um, as I said, I've been going to this church for a long time, and many years ago, uh, many years ago, uh, there was a young man at this church very interested in a particular young lady at this church, and he only had one problem, in that she had no interest at all in him. And so he did everything that he could do. He was all working on all his you know, all his moves, and he was seeking counsel, and, and one day he finally got close enough where he felt like he could ask her out. So he asked her out, and, uh, and, and she said yes, you know, but mostly because she was just a kind and, and decent person. <clears throat> and so they go out, and, and, and things went well, and he, he comes back, and I'm talking to him, and he is just over the moon. He is so excited about this, thought just how great everything went, how, how, how far he thought this projected there relationship, and I was pretty excited for him. So a day or so later, I had an opportunity to speak with this young lady, and I said, oh, well, how'd your date with uh, so-and-so go? And she goes, well, it was good, but it wasn't really a date date. And I, my heart just broke for this guy. I couldn't believe it. So I, I go back, and I'm, talk, I'm speaking with him again, and he's still just over the moon, just glowing with what he thought was the greatest date of, in the universe. And I said, well, just so you get right expectations, she said, it wasn't really a date date. And you could see his heart just break. He, his, his countenance just fell. And, uh, and then you started seeing him get a little bit angry. And he's like, wasn't a date date. I spent money, money. Didn't even get a kiss, kiss. So I think expectations are super important. In my mind, you're laughing hysterically right now. Um, so uh, it's very important that we have the proper expectations. Don't worry, Joy eventually married him. Um, so today is going to be a little bit different. I do want us to have the proper expectation for what you can expect today. Because, um, again, I am different. So one thing that we're going to do today is we're going to read a scripture. And then we're going to, then we're going to come back. I'm going to give a little bit of instruction, a little bit of how I study scripture. And then we're going to to read it again. Um, and then also a little bit different is that typically, uh, you know, we, we, uh, we typically do topical sermons here. In other words, we pick a topic and we see what the Bible has to say about it and how we can best live our lives. Well, this one's a little bit different and it's more of an expository teaching where we're going to read the scripture, the passage makes the point, and I just happen to be so fortunate that this passage fits in with our topic just right. So if you could open your Bibles with me or flip on your phones or just look at the screen um, uh, for, for Mark 9, starting in verse 14. When they came to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd around them and the teachers of the law arguing with them. As soon as the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and ran to greet him. 
What are you arguing with them about, he asked. A man in the crowd answered, Teacher, I brought you my son who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. You unbelieving generation, Jesus replied, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. So they brought him. When the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into convulsion. He fell uh, to the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered. It has often thrown him into the fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. If you can, Jesus said, everything is possible for one who believes. Immediately, the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe, help me overcome my unbelief. When Jesus saw that a crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the impure spirit. You deaf and mute spirit, he said, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. Oops, sorry. The spirit shrieked, convulsed him violently, and came out. The boy looked so much like a corpse that many said he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up to his feet, and he stood up. After Jesus had gone indoors, his disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we drive it out? He replied, this kind can come out only by prayer. <clears throat> this is one of my favorite passages I love. Uh, the book of Mark. Um, it's, it's much more narrative than, than uh, many other, uh, than some of the other gospels. And so I really do love this story. As a matter of fact, I have kind of been reading through this story for a number of years uh, and kind of really been dwelling on it. So whenever I read the Bible, I always ask myself a few questions. Um, and this particular uh, scripture will ask, will ask some questions. And those questions are who, why, when, and what. The first question is who? And I always ask who wrote the book. Now, uh, some people may not matter, but some people may not think that matters because, well, the, the book is inspired by God and the book, it, it is Holy Spirit driven. Of course, that's true, but I still like to ask who wrote the book. And of course, this one's pretty simple. Uh, it's Mark. Mark wrote the book of Mark. It's fascinating, I know. But what you may not know is that Mark didn't walk with Jesus. He was not a contemporary with Jesus. He did not uh, walk with him. You may also not, have, not know that he was uh, from a well-to-do uh, Jewish family. He was very well-educated. And so I think that speaks volumes of him, that he was born in the tradition of Judaism, and then, but still converted uh, to Christianity. Um, another thing that, uh, that people may not know is that he was, uh, you know, he went on, he went with Paul on missionary journeys. So uh, there are a few things. And then the last thing about the book of Mark is it's the oldest of the Gospels. So it was first written. So some of that may matter more now, or it may matter more in just a few minutes. <clears throat> uh, the next thing is why, why he wrote this book. So as I said, Mark was, uh, was kind of one of the right-hand uh, guys of Paul for a little while, but then Paul, he kind of screwed up, and Paul's like, get out of here. I don't want you anymore. And then Peter uh, took him in, and so became the right-hand man of Peter. He became Peter's go-to guy. And so during this time, it's kind of historically written that Mark basically said, hey, Peter, you mind if I write some of this crap down? And Peter's like, I don't care, do whatever you want. That was literally how the gospel of Mark was composed. And, 
So very interesting to me, those, those couple of little facts. And then the, the final why it was written is because it really was written and pointed towards the, Roman, the, the Christians in Rome that were being persecuted at this time. The persecution of Christians was really starting to ramp up, and Mark wrote this to encourage them. Um, the next question I ask is when? When was it written? And if you look at the scripture, the passage right before this, this was the, the, the Mount of Transfiguration. So you got Jesus, Peter, James, and John. They went to this mountaintop uh, together, and the, the three disciples saw Jesus transfigured. They saw all these things. They thought it was the greatest thing in the world. They're like, hey, let's build altars and just stay here. Uh, we'll just stay here the whole time. And, uh, of course, that didn't happen. They came back down into this, uh, into this scene. And then the final question uh, that I ask is what? And that is what will God expect of me now that I know this truth? What is God going to expect of me? Because he didn't do all, he didn't do all this work and preserve scripture for, for so long uh, just for fun. Uh, so I, God is now expecting something from me. So we're going to read this uh, passage again. And uh, I want you to t- think about some of the things that I just said. But even more than that, what I would like you to do is to kind of place yourself within the Scripture. I like to, when I read the Scripture, especially a story that's so narrative like this, that is a story, um, place yourself within that passage. Place yourself in there and see yourself as as one of the characters in the story. So perhaps you'll see yourself as one of the disciples that just failed. Uh, just tried to do what they had been doing, probably thinking, that, hey, I've cast out a few demons, I've healed a few people, I'm all good. And then this time, they failed miserably. Uh, maybe see yourself as the little boy. Um, the little boy who I'm certain just lived in constant fear. Was this going to happen again? Was this going to be, is this going to be my last day? Is this the day that this thing ends my life? And then on top of that, he couldn't even communicate. He, uh, he wasn't able to communicate with his family, and tell them, oh, I feel something coming on. I feel an episode. Help me. Protect me. He couldn't do any of that. See yourself as that, as that boy. Or maybe better yet, see yourself as the father, the father who was absolutely desperate to love his son in a way that would bring him healing and that would restore him. And I'm sure every day of his life, he had begged and pled with God that, that today is the day that my son uh, would be healed. And then all of that time being completely helpless to to help him, only to be able to wait until an episode or a seizure or a possession or whatever it was that grabbed hold of this kid. Uh, he couldn't do anything. Maybe somebody that's not really even mentioned in the story. I often think of this boy's mother. Um, you know, this boy's mother probably stayed at home with the other kids and, uh, and said, I know if it were my house, my wife would have been like, you take the boy to Jesus right now. Um, and, uh, but I can imagine her sitting there hoping uh, just with, with just fear and with, but, but excited that maybe today's the day. Maybe today my boy will be healed. Uh, just, just absolute fear or maybe just a bystander. Whatever it takes, put yourself in the narrative. Make this real. Become part of it. Don't just read through it because first of all, it's a cool story. But second of all, it was written so that we might experience it, so that we might draw closer to Jesus. So let's go back to the beginning here, Mark 9, uh, verse 14. And again, place yourself in the scripture and think about when it happened right after the Mount of Transfiguration and who wrote it and all the things that we discussed. Uh, When they came to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd around them and the teachers of the law arguing with them. 
As soon as the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and ran to greet him. What are you arguing with them about, he asked. A man in the crowd answered, teacher, I brought you my son who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and become rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. You unbelieving generation, Jesus replied, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. So they brought him. When the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into convulsion. He fell to the ground and rolled around foaming at the mouth. Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered. It has often thrown him into the fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. If you can, Jesus said, everything is possible for one who believes. Immediately, the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. When Jesus saw that a crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the impure spirit. You deaf and mute spirit, he said, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. The spirit shrieked, convulsed him violently and came out. The boy looked so much like a corpse that many said he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him to his feet and he stood up. After Jesus had gone indoors, his disciples, disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we drive it out? He replied, this kind can come out only by prayer. I love this story, I think, just because I identify so much with it that, uh, that it, just, it just very, it speaks very, very powerfully um, to me. And I think there's a whole bunch of stuff we can look at in here when we're talking about building a church for the generations. This, this scripture is applied to so many things in my life that building a church for the generations is, uh, is, is not that different because this passage speaks to me. It seems on whatever I think about them. But the first thing that you see is that they had just come, again, these, the, the three disciples and Jesus had just come down from, the, from this incredible mountaintop experience, literally the most amazing mountaintop experience you could ever have in your life. I'm sure um, many of us have had incredible mountaintop experiences, maybe at youth camp when you were a kid, or maybe at an encounter here at the church, or, or maybe old days on a hiking trip uh, when we used to do those, or, or whatever it was. Just You've had this mountaintop experience where you, for whatever reason, you were drawn to God. You felt closer to God. You felt like you were right where there with him. And just like the disciples, you wanted to stay there. You wanted to dig in. But I think, and, and not only that, as awesome as whatever mountaintop experience you've had or I've had, or if we combine them all together, I don't think any of them came even close to this particular mountaintop experience. How much more awesome could it get to be there with Jesus and to see him transfigured and to, and to just be there and be a part of that? Nothing else could compare to that. And this was the ultimate mountaintop experience. But one thing that I think is that it's, it's, invite, it's vitally important for us to know, and if we want to really build a church for the generations, is that mountaintop experiences are awesome, but they don't last. I think mountaintop experiences are an important part of our spiritual journey and our journey of faith. Uh, mountaintop experiences are to provide rest and they're to provide peace and they're to provide hope and they're to provide grace and they're to provide understanding and they're to provide revelation. But none of those things are made for the purpose of camping out on the mountaintop. You have to come down into the valley and share 
what you've had, what you've learned, and what you and what God has bestowed upon you because he's given it to you for a purpose. And certainly, you have to come down into the valley and share with all those around, but even more importantly, you have to come down and share with your children. You have to share that that moment uh, is real, and yet there is so much more to do than simply camp out on top of a mountain. This is my fear that if your faith is based solely on mountaintop experiences, my big fear is that that faith won't last, but I can almost guarantee that it will not translate to the next generation, that you have to continue to move on, that God has gifted you with a mountaintop experience so that you can do something incredible and something amazing with your family, with the church, whatever it is. That's how we're going to build a church for the generations is not stay on the mountain, but come down into the valley and build and build. Because if you don't come down off the mountain, you'll probably fall off the mountain. One of the next things, the next things that I, that I saw is in verse 18, um, he says, I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. Uh, and again, this had to be confusing for the, for the disciples, and, and certainly, you know, that I can imagine the father getting there and, and, and having some hope. But I think one incredibly important lesson for us in our everyday life, but also if we want to build a church for the generations, is that Jesus' disciples will fail you sometimes. Um, you know, we have incredible leaders here at this church, and, and they love Jesus, and I guarantee it, and they uh, do all that they can to convey his love and to help us become better disciples and to help us become, um, you know, better church members and to help us become all that God has called, has, wants us to be and desires us to be. But the truth is, is that more than likely, they're going to fail you at some point. They probably already have, um, you know, and so uh, it's just such a, it's, and, and too often I think that, um, you know, that, that our faith is based so much on our leadership and so much on those that disciple and care for us because they play a huge and important part. But if we truly want to understand, it's just like the disciples failed this man and this boy here, um, our leaders, our disciplers will probably uh, at some point let us down as well. Sometimes it's as easy as a misunderstanding. Sometimes it's as easy as just a slight disagreement. But that is where we can truly show that we have grace not only for people that are lost, but those that aim to serve us, those that are doing all that they can to help us become all that we can be. I love Ravi Zacharias. And he said, one of people's greatest mistakes is basing their faith and their understanding on a person, a pastor, or a leader. The only place that you can place your hope, the only the only shoulders mighty enough to bear the burden of our salvation, uh, to bear the burden of our hope, and to bear the burden of the church and in the next generation are the shoulders of Jesus Christ, and that we have to place our shoulders there. Yes, we, have to, we, we are to be discipled, and we are to look to our leaders, and we are to, uh, to, to accept their authority and be under their authority, but the truth is, is the, that Jesus' shoulders are the only one that can bear the load. So make sure that your faith, although how awesome our leaders are, um, they are not quite awesome enough to save us. And so uh, let's look to Jesus for that and make sure we're pointing our children the same. The next real thing that jumps to me out of this scripture is, is my, one of my favorite characters in the entire Bible 
is in this scripture, and it is the father of this boy. He doesn't get highlighted a lot. We don't know his name, but he is, I just think, an incredible, incredible man. A father, um, and it's possibly because I, I'm a father as well, but he loves his children or his son in a way that he would do anything for him, that he would that he would travel. We don't know how far he traveled, but he definitely, he definitely came from somewhere. And he had, this, he had great expectations. And I identify with him so much um, because, you know, of, of one line that he says where, uh, where he says, I believe, help me overcome my unbelief. And I think one thing that is vitally important that if you want to build a church for the generations is that don't let your unbelief keep you from bringing your children to Jesus. If you... This journey of faith is about believing and unbelieving and, or, and unbelief and struggling with that and coming, overcoming obstacles and overcoming doubt and overcoming fears. But the one thing that you cannot do is, let, is, is not bring your children to Jesus. It absolutely must happen. And I think, I believe, help me overcome my unbelief is something that we should say every day. It is something that we do every day. He brings, he brings this boy to Jesus, and he says, if you can, if there's anything that you can do, and Jesus said, anything is possible for one who believes, and the man says, I believe, help me overcome my unbelief. My son is sick. I believe, help me overcome my unbelief. I'm trying to witness to somebody, but I just don't know. I believe, help me overcome my unbelief. This is a quintessential statement in my life, and I believe the life of every believer. This guy got it. Too often where we are ashamed that we struggle or ashamed that we have doubt or ashamed that we have unbelief. But one thing that this guy did is that he had the courage and the fortitude, I believe, help me overcome my unbelief, here's my son. And so that is my challenge to you and that is my challenge to me is that I believe, help me overcome my unbelief, here are my kids, here's the next generation. Here's the things that we have to do in order to become the church that we want to be. And if I want my children uh, to become, to stand on my shoulders and be a much greater man of, of men and women of God than I ever could be, then that's what has to happen. I believe, help me overcome my unbelief. I think I've said it enough. Nope, one more time. I believe, help me overcome my unbelief. That is where we all are, whether we want to admit it or not, admit it or not. That is where we are and where we need to be. Okay. Uh, and so I really, I really like this, this guy, and I love this story because of how, how well it works here. And then um, a few years ago, I was asked to uh, guest lead a small group at the church. It was a young couple, Claire and Reese, they were lead, uh, leading a small group. And um, they asked me to come teach. I'm like, sure, I love to teach. I'll come do it. So I actually read this scripture. Totally different teaching, except the probably, I believe, helped me overcome my unbelief portion of the program. But, um, but they asked me to do it, and, they, and I came, and we read the whole thing, and I made all my points, and they were wonderful, blah, blah, blah. But at the end, the, when the disciples asked uh, Jesus, I said, why couldn't we drive him out, drive this thing out? And he said, this one, this kind can come out only by prayer. And for some reason, for some reason, I was sitting there teaching this, this small group. And uh, for some reason, I asked them the question, who was praying? The scripture didn't mention anybody praying. There was no praying going on in this passage. There was no prayer happening. And it dawned on me with just this incredible 
weight and this incredible truth that there's only two people in this story that had been praying for that boy. One of them is Jesus, and one of them is his father. His father had been praying with a passion and a compassion and a hope and fear and trepidation and yet continuing to pray. And finally, Jesus answered his prayer on this day. And for some reason, I don't know why, but on that day, it just overwhelmed me. And actually, I started to like cry. And of course, these people were like, what is wrong with this guy? Because it wasn't a crying type teaching up until that point. And, but even a greater pain that kind of came over me is that I realized that I had rarely prayed with that sort of passion for my own children. I pray for them often. I pray for them all the time. But that kind of passion, that kind of hope, that kind of understanding that this is what it takes This is what it takes. If my kids are going to come to Jesus, it is which they have. It is going to take passionate prayer. And so I remember uh, many years ago, my youngest son, Josiah, was about four, maybe. And uh, he had a a cough. And, um, you know, it wasn't a nice sounding cough, but it was a cough. And so uh, my wife said, I think we need to take him to the ER. And I'm like, it's a cough. She doesn't need to go to the ER. You know, I'm a walk it off kind of guy. And so and, uh, and so we didn't take them. And I was like, do you know how expensive ERs are? And, uh, how, and, and all these things. And, and I was like, he's fine. It's just a cough. And so later that night, it just kept getting worse, kept getting worse, kept getting deeper. And, uh, and so finally, I was like, okay, we'll, we'll take them. And so we go to the ER and they do some breathing treatments and those kind of things. And, you know, typical thing. And the doctor comes out and he's giving us this diagnosis. And, uh, and, he's, and I can tell he's kind of wrapping up his summation of what happened of what we were supposed to do. And so I'm, I'm getting ready to go. I'm like, okay, let's go home. I'm checking my, got my keys, got my phone, everything. Okay, let's go. And I'm literally kind of packing up mentally and even physically in some ways. And then the doctor said, so that's why I would like to immediately admit him, admit him uh, to the hospital uh, down on Florida, at Florida South or Florida North, whichever one it is. And, uh, and we need to take him there by ambulance and we need to get them, get them there right away. And I was like, what? It's, it's just a cough. It's, it's nothing. It's just a cough. And turns out it was croup with the early onset of pneumonia. And so my wife got in the ambulance with my son, Josiah, and they go there and I get in the car and I'm following them. And I'm just, I'm just kind of in awe at this point. And we get in to this, the hospital. It's one of those new hospitals, giant rooms, bed over in the corner for the, for the parents. I went over and I laid down and I just began to weep. And I prayed that God would but of course, save him and that he would be made well and that he would be good. And then I also began to beg for forgiveness because me and my, well, because I was cheap or because I was prideful and thought that I knew what was right, that I almost caused some permanent harm to my son. And it was one of the more passionate prayers of my life. But that's the type of prayer that we need to be praying every day for our kids if we want to build a church for the generations. We can build the most awesome building in the world ever. And it will be an empty shell if we're not building up our kids and we're not bringing our kids to Jesus and we're not doing all the things that we need to do in order for the next generation to believe. Even if they believe with doubt, like this man, like I do, like you probably do, help us overcome our unbelief. That's the type of prayer that we need to do in order to continue uh, to build the church for the generations. Um, so kind of the last couple things I just want to say is that if, if you're struggling with something, own that struggle. It's okay. Ask questions. Dig deep. Say, I believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. I believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. Make this 
line, make this line like this father did, your truth, who it is. It's okay. As a matter of fact, I believe that in our struggle and in our doubt, that is when the gospel truly begins to permeate us and change us and help us to become who God has called us to be. Because it is faith upon faith, step upon step. And that's how you do it. You believe, help me overcome my unbelief. That's what I want. And then the last thing that I like to do is I would like you, if you're there in your living room or, or in your kitchen or wherever you are, if your children are with you, I would like you to put your hands on your kids um, right now. If your kids have moved out, we're going to pray for them and we're going to pray with some passion here uh, for our kids and for the next generation. If your kids have moved out, pray for them anyway. If you got grandkids, pray for them. If you got neighbor kids, pray for them. If you got some kids here that you know need specific prayer, pray for them. But guys, this is how we are going to get to the next level. And this is how we will build a church for generations is by believing and overcoming unbelief and by praying with all that is in us for the next generation. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your incredible power, Lord. I thank you so much for this passage of scripture and this man who believed but had so much unbelief to overcome. Father, I pray that you would help me. Father, for I believe but help me overcome my unbelief, Lord. I know that my kids believe, help them overcome their unbelief. My wife believes, help her overcome her unbelief, Father. This is where we are. This is who we are, Lord. And I just pray for my children right now that you would overwhelm them with your grace and your love and that they would feel it and that they would know it. And Father, that I would never allow my doubt to keep me from bringing them to your son. Lord, I thank you for this church. I thank you that we are able to meet online. I thank you for the freedom uh, that this country has, that men and women have laid their life down to provide so that we could worship you, that we could be drawn together, that we can believe and overcome our unbelief together. Father, we love you so. We look forward to the day that we come back together. But right now we know that you are with us and you are binding us together with your Holy Spirit. And I thank you for your love. And I pray that you would help me love you more, Father. I believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. In Jesus' name, amen. We believe. Help us overcome our unbelief. That is the message for the day. I got some small group questions here. Thank you for joining us. Have an amazing week. Love you. We'll see you next.